Have you seen me dice bag? <laughs> the Grognard Files. Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming live from my den here in the heart of the northwest of England. I'm completely and utterly surrounded by my stuff. 2022 has been another bumper year for additions to the great library of RPGs and my grognard files, which are stored here on my right. On my left is the ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Munro. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll just give it a tap. Ah yes, it's the annual appearance of the 1984 Santa Slasher, Don't Open Till Christmas, where the eternal champion sings. It's that point in time when we reflect on the past year in gaming and roll out the red carpet for the Groggy Awards. So put on your best tux and put the champagne on chill as we wander through the highlights of the year. Thanks for all your support this year. We've picked up some new Grog Squad members along the way, including JT, who's been catching up with some of the back issues and dropping me recommendations as he does so. And he's very kindly given us a review on Apple Podcasts too, which I'll read here because they often do a better job of explaining the Grog Pod to new listeners than I can. This is a wonderfully warm and funny insightful pod that's perfect for gamers of a particular vintage and great for more recent converts too. The tone is always gently humorous and warm with frequent bursts of pure nostalgia mixed in with enthusiasm for newer games. Thanks JT, much appreciated. So what to expect from this episode? Well, the resident rules lawyer, Judge Blythe, joins me in the pub. Oh yes, we have our wig on, and we head on a bit of a pub crawl through Horwich, a small railway town in Bolton. We're in a generous mood as we dole out the awards for the best of our gaming experiences of the year, as well as meandering onto other related topics. Listening back to this, as I need to do in the process of editing out the interruptions, uh, banging on the table, and pauses during sudden memory loss, I realise that there's a subtle battle going on between us. We have known each other for a long, long time, but not long enough for me to passively aggressively correct his grammar. See if you can spot the less versus fewer battle going on as a subtext to the early part of this discussion. Also included in this episode is an interview with Bud from Bud's RPG Reviews. In 2022, he released Viral, a modern-day Call of Cthulhu adventure which he co-wrote with Alex Dillot in the Miskatonic Repository. One of my favourite aspects of this year has been the continuation of the book club that meets on the first Sunday of every month at 9.30 to 11am. This year, we've invited authors to questions and answer sessions at the end of our discussion. We spoke about Viral in November and Bud kindly agreed to answer our queries. 
I'll be back at the end to do my normal annual roundup of the new podcasts that I've discovered during the year. Until then, ramblers, let's get rambling. Welcome to the room of roleplay rambling. We're in the pub. The wig is on. We're in uh, deepest, darkest Horwich for mm. a change. So it's, yeah, it's that uh, time of year again where the uh, barman has got a selection of Christmas ales, mm. the Rudolph Brew, and things like that. Yeah, the, the, the rubbish beer they can't get rid of any time of year, so they have to call it something Christmas. Who wants cinnamon with the beer? Oh, yeah, don't put cinnamon in beer. Yeah, chocolate pudding beer. Rum and raisin beer. So I saw one rum and raisin beer. Yeah, rum or drink rum. Put it in the beer. Yeah, or have an old Jamaican. I like an old Jamaican. <laughs> so it's time for the groggies. Groggies. When we do a, a review of the uh, previous year. What's that you've got in front of you, though? Well, I, I have I have a little festive treat for you here. Oh yeah. Because well, this my, is good. My wife. You don't, you don't, my wife. Yeah, yeah. My wife, Mrs. Blythe. Yeah. Got me an advent calendar. She's got me an advent calendar. Last year, she got me a beer advent calendar. Have you ever had a beer advent I calendar? I haven't had a beer. Had a beer she, ad- she spoils you. Uh, a beer advent calendar. She's just quite nice because you get 24 beers. This year, though, she, she got me something else. And you can make your own minds up as to whether this is better or worse than a beer advent calendar. She got me a D&D advent calendar. A D&D? What? D&D, Wizards of the Coast advent calendar. So... So does that work then? What, what do you get dice? Or well, something? it's an advent calendar. So every day, we're leading up to Christmas. <laughs> no, I don't work. know though. They work. Know they work. Yeah, all right. But, but well, yeah, you get things. You get things at the moment, at the time of recording, accurate at the time of recording. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're on the eighth of December, aren't we? That's yeah. When this is being recorded, so I've only opened eight. So right, far, okay. so far. They've been fairly small-scale things, like yeah. a couple of gifts. It's building up, isn't it? I think some of the later ones are a bit chunkier. Yeah. The feel are a bit chunkier, so they might be more exciting. But I've got, I've brought a selection in for you now. All right, there it goes. Right, There's okay. a Displacer Beast sticker. Oh, yeah. You see, displacer, yeah. a sticker with the Displacer Beast on. You know, the contradiction in terms, I mean, a sticky Displacer Beast. It's supposed to move, out. <laughs> it should really be a, 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 a sticker you can move around, but apparently... This displacer beast ain't going to displace anywhere. Stick it on the ball. There's a, there's a Dungeons and Dragons, a little booklet, if you need help choosing a class. Oh, brilliant. Right. You, oh, right. So you, you tell right. me, right. you tell me what right. class you want to play and I'll tell you whether you should or shouldn't. I mean, it's a bit prescriptive to me. But there you go. Anyway, go on. You, go what, on. Do you want to, what do you want um, to be? I always like playing the warlock class. You want to be a warlock? Okay. Yeah, okay. All right, let's see. It says here, you should be a warlock if... Yeah. And there's, there's three... But for each class, there's about three bullet points. Right. You should play a warlock if you'll do favours for anyone for a favour in return, no yeah. matter how weird. Yeah, OK. OK. <laughs> you have a vast collection of tarot decks and occult books. Right, OK. Finally, you'll never do something for nothing. I think uh, it's alluding there, isn't it, to the pact that oh, yes, of make, course. isn't it? There you go. So, there you go. That, that's what it says. What about yes. cleric? Come on. Cleric. 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 Uh, fun to you me. You should play a cleric if you are the most boring person on earth. No, that's, oh. that's just my view. <laughs> that's just my view of clerics, isn't it? 
Um, let's have a look. Ooh, actually, strange this. You can tell this is strange, but you should play a cleric if you have a big, inverted commas, mom. That's mom, isn't it? An American. Big mom? Mom. Hang on, let me finish. <laughs> if, you, if you have a big What's mom. What's the size of my mother? What's the size of my mother going to play do? Play a cleric if you have a big mom. <laughs> Diamond's not that big. I got just as well. I don't want to play a cleric. Anyway, um, no, you should play a cleric if you have a big mum friend energy. Mum friend energy in bracket. Mum friend energy. Big mum friend energy. Mum friend energy. Have you got mum friend energy? I don't know. You what clearly, you, have, you don't know if you have or not. I don't know about that. Uh, big people. Hang on. Don't move on to the next one. Let's. It says. Let's do it with says this. you. You should play a cleric if you have big open inverted commas. Yeah. I'm going to say mum because it is mum. Mum friend, closing inverted commas, energy. You have big mum friend energy. What, like, like my mum's friend Barbara? I've got to be like <laughs> If you've got Barbara's energy, Barbara is clearly a cleric. She doesn't know it, but she's got cleric. Next time you see her, say, hey, Barbara, you're a cleric. <laughs> okay. Join game with the AD. So, yeah, that I don't, we don't know what that means. No idea. Anyway, and it goes on to say, people would yeah. look to you for leadership in a yeah. zombie apocalypse. Really? People would look to, would you look to Barbara for leadership <laughs> in a zombie apocalypse? She'd be all right. I think she'd be okay. Yeah, she takes no nonsense. Yeah, well, that's what you want, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and finally, you attribute every small happenstance to a higher power. Anyway. So that, was that day one? Or oh, no, one? that was, uh, I think that was day three. Yeah. The next, the next one is a little booklet, and this this has caused some consternation in the Blarney household. This it's the Dungeons and Dragons Party Challenge, so it's oh, like right. a little quiz book. It's like a little quiz book. Um, my wife asked me some of these questions, and I didn't I didn't know the answers. You're quite <laughs> cross with me because she thinks you spent all your money on these role playing games, and I couldn't answer some of them. Go on then, let's see. Go on. Like, uh, uh. Well, the first one, you okay. got this one. Right. You'll get that. How many how many sides are on the most famous dice in D and D? Twenty. Of course, of course. That's one point to me. You think, and you think, oh, here we go. Here we go, yeah. beginners, this. Yeah. Two. And I, I couldn't get it. I don't, I don't know this. How many eyes does a beholder have? Uh, isn't it eight? No, it's 11. 11? Two points for that. Mrs. says, why don't you know how many eyes are behold? She doesn't know what behold, she doesn't know what one is. She doesn't know what one is. But she's cross at me because I didn't know. And she bought me this thing because she thinks I'm into day and day and rope and I've got a big shelf of books and games which cost leading fortune. <laughs> and I don't know how many eyes a beholder's got. I wonder if I'm not counting the ones. Because it's got the You just don't know. You don't know, and I didn't know. I didn't know, do you? Finally, we'll just do another. Should we do another one? Yeah, go on. See, so one of his uh, the yawning portal is in which city? That's water deep, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Kind of, he's got that one. Well, why didn't you give me that one then? Because I'm doing them in order. That's, oh, right. The next one in order is magic missile. Yeah. The magic missile spell belongs to which school of magic? Oh, um, illusion. Did you I hope my wife's not listening to this because you'll be in trouble now too. Even you don't know. Even the grog father doesn't know. It's evocation, isn't it? Obviously. Evocation. Did is you know it, that one? Is it? No. No, I didn't know, did I? I didn't know that one. I, I think I said abjuration. Abjuration. Oh, that's a bit obscure. But I don't know. So there you go. That's what I got. I, I think I just like the beer one better. 
Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. First thing. It causes less arguments. Put it first thing way. in the morning, dawn yeah, breaks. First, first thing in the morning, we're another day near Christmas. <laughs> open me a little bottle of open Kegelia. Oh, look. <laughs> the 15th of December. I'm off to work before I go. <laughs> then you'd be like a displacer beast. <laughs> Are you sure it's my round? So this time of year we like to reflect on the games that we're playing during the year yeah. and award prizes. Well, not prize prizes. It's like um, awards. Awards. Award. Yeah. Awards. Award. We awards, like to award yeah. awards. Yeah. I don't think we've played any less hours of gaming. No. Uh, certainly, maybe no more. But I don't think we played less. I think what's been quite noticeable about this year is we've played less systems. Yeah, I would say it's the year of the mini campaign. So when I look when I look at my little folders of games I've prepped and played on my computer, there's far less games. There's no less hours, but there is le- there are less games. As yeah. in, we've played more of the same. So I mean, a great example is Red Markets, isn't it? We played we played lots of sessions of Red Markets, didn't we? Yeah, played that for a long time yeah. actually. About, about 10 sessions wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. played it a long time we played some Aegon didn't we for a long time we Old School Essentials Old School Essentials we played 7 or 8 sessions of that yeah. uh, we played 7 or 8 6 or 7 Deadlands didn't we you know. yeah and the One Shot Club didn't run this year did it so that yeah. meant that we were playing fewer different systems because what we tend to do with that is try out new things isn't it yeah. or yeah. try and play games that are um, but one fitting of the, with the but podcast. one of the reasons it didn't didn't run, uh, we didn't run the one shot. I think is because we did get overtaken by the campaigns we were doing. Didn't yeah, we? left us little time to do yeah. to do the one shots because we were doing so much other yeah. stuff. And, and it's true. And there's been other things that have encroached on our time. So you're right. We haven't played any less time really because we're taking over. There were, there were times like three or four years ago, and you said to me, "Oh, you'll be playing twice a week." I'd have looked at you askance. <laughs> But now and it's you're playing like four times a three, week. Yeah, pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, but I think um, I pushed it too far this year because mm-hmm. there was a point where I tried, as well as doing a Sunday, uh, alternate Wednesdays, uh, some Thursdays. Yeah. In fact, I was doing every Wednesday at one point, Saturday mornings alternately. I tried doing a Monday evening, but that was a step too far. I just could not fit them in. Yeah, and I, and I, I think we both. I, I certainly pulled out of of one game um, that we were doing, Pendragon game, because yeah. I, I, I was always a bit too much. There was other things going on at home, and it was a bit. Well, hang on, I, I don't think I can do every single Wednesday because we play every other Wednesday anyway. Yeah. So I can't do every Wednesday. I just yeah. can't, even if it, even if it was a shortish period. It was a few months, and I thought, I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. I can't really but perhaps it's because of that feeling that we were playing fewer systems. So, but we need to get more in because we're playing the yeah. same games over. Yeah. Are we going to fit in more? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then, and then when you when you add up conventions, so when you add up things like doing a bit of go play Manchester or. Um, virtual grog or expo or Elba or all these things you also are doing some one shot stuff as well planning for those as well on top of all the campaigns yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. so def- definitely year of the year of the campaign I think or the mini campaign maybe yeah because we finished we finished Children of Fear didn't we yes yeah 
to finish the um, slipstream campaign. Yeah, and slipstream has been playing for a good couple of years. Yeah, really? maybe three years actually. Yeah, yeah, a long time. Yeah, yeah. and we finished also um, the Mutant Year Zero, um, the Grey Death yeah. campaign, mm. and that was only supposed to be ten sessions, but it ended up being quite a few more, didn't it? it was two like, years. Yeah, two years of the job. Yeah, and uh, started Paris of Genex as well which yeah. is probably the rest of my natural life running that yeah. and everyone else's you know yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's good that isn't it that you actually we actually finish things mm. it was very satisfying I think for finishing um, Children of Fear and Slipstream both of them because they were they were big big campaigns we've been playing a long time yeah it was good to actually finish them and think wow yeah there you go I've finished that played that character for a long time and the, yeah. the character I've played is a memorable character in my gaming history and finished a campaign all the way through Children of Fear was a strange one because I think I mentioned before because we're playing it monthly it's quite difficult to maintain the momentum of it yeah. and we did have a break between the penultimate event and leading into the uh, climax and I do think that the actual cataclysmic penultimate event mm. was more a bit of an anticlimax the actual spell casting at the end of um, Children of Fear for me oh, anyway I don't, I don't know I, I think no I didn't didn't feel like that as a player yeah. I think there's always that kind of strange disconnect between how a player's players perceive it and how um, yeah. games masters perceive it that Partic- is a particularly climaxes isn't it for uh, pre-written yeah. scenarios because very often you are anticipating the fa- finale months ahead yeah, of you're, the players you're, particip- you're, you're anticipating it long before the players and the players it's revealed to the players in the moment isn't it but as a games master you've run it through your head a million times because you think I've got to make this good I've got to make this exciting yeah. And it is exciting for the players. I thought it was great. The climax to Children of Fear it was really good. Yeah. But it, you know, you you will have run it through your head so many times, won't yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. we just experience it once. I think it's because in that penultimate encounter, I don't want to give too much away, but it involves um, it's kind of horrific, carnal, strange, hallucinogenic um, encounter that kind of stays with you. Yeah, it's a strange campaign. I, I I enjoyed it, and it is very different from other campaigns. There's bits in it that are peculiar, and it doesn't feel. It, it is like Cthulhu, but it's not very Cthulhu. No, because you commented before. It has a, there's a sense in it where you can't quite meta game it. You can't quite go, oh yeah, it's the deep ones. Oh, it's this or it's that, because it doesn't really play out like that. No, yeah, which makes it interesting. And some of the cultural culture clash it does the culture clash thing very well where you do feel like you're in a foreign country in a foreign land trying to interact with people in a in a way that doesn't quite doesn't quite work and I, I enjoyed the fact me and Mark played British yes <laughs> not unpleasant but sort of British Empire types yeah. which is quite good fun because that culture clash is brought to the fore isn't it a yeah. bit more because you're playing Brit- you are playing British people yeah. who are suddenly in the you know in the Himalayas meeting people who 
are British and have different ways and different cultures. And that was really, really good fun. And I think it is one of those campaigns where there's a great deal of satisfaction as a games master reading it and immersing yourself in the uh, world and the history and some of the cultural details that are given. But when you come to the table, it's one of those of, right, hey, do I get this, convey this to the players in a way that just doesn't drown them in uh, yeah. information? Yeah. And, I think um, we had some really satisfying individual scenarios, um, which I enjoyed. But I think overall, I f- when it finished, I felt like I hadn't done it properly. I know what you mean. As you play it as a player, you do get a sense of there's a lot more in this. There's a lot more background and a lot more detail than I'm really getting. Yeah. But equally would I appreciate all that detail or would I find yeah. it boring yeah. there's a tipping point with anything like that where you know do I do I want to not that this is in it but do I want to spend the whole session doing the uh, Nepalese tea ceremony or something like that in, in all its accuracy or would I just think well I'm doing this you know I want to fight some monsters or do some yeah, you know do some things, yeah. Cthulhu type stuff there's a, there's a fine line I think I think uh, Chris Lawson, who did a post-it note featuring his uh, Games Master's Guide, yeah. he has one that says, lower equals snore. <laughs> I think there's something in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's, it's true of all those kind of campaigns. I mean, I've started, started running Pirates of Drinax, and Pirates of Drinax is great. It's a great campaign. But there's a lot, there's a lot in it. Yeah. There's a lot in it, and there's a lot that's optional. So as a games master, you have to navigate your way through it. And the temptation is to throw loads of stuff at players. Yes. Because already we've been playing, what, about four four or five sessions? And you've already had a lot thrown at you. There's a lot going on, isn't there? Yeah. And there's more that could go on. Yeah. It doesn't have to, because there's lots of options. But there is that sense of, well, if I throw more stuff at you that I think is interesting is it going to overwhelm you a bit and overload you I think the difference is though with that Pirates of Drenox there is a lot of information that you've uh, told us but it does feel like we're free agents mm. within it and have yeah. influence yeah. over it rather than it happening around us oh yeah it's definitely like a sa- it is a very very pure kind of sandbox you know and yeah. it makes it a bit, a bit sometimes a bit nerve wracking to run because you think what are they going to do I don't know what you're going to do yeah. give, me a, give me a clue what you're going to do next because there's yeah. so many options you know? and in that group on a Saturday morning I know from playing Mutant Year Zero we do like to mix it up a bit yeah and do stuff yeah. do which stuff. is great it's great but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. but there is that problem of overload that said I mean within what an hour of playing there was a spreadsheet set up with all the <laughs> it's not just a spreadsheet. I'm not going in it. Don't tell them. But I've not gone in it. It's funny in in Parchment it, it says that obviously the plot is you're these privateers working for King Olaf. So you've got to keep track of how much money you get, how much treasure you get, what you do with the money to to get influence and Trojan reach and all that. So and it, it says as advice to the games it says something along the lines of don't worry about the players keeping track of the money. Because there's always one player who will love doing it. Yeah. We know who that is, don't we? Andy Hemmings. We know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite funny because I read that and thought, 
Will, will there be someone who want to do all that? Yeah. Oh, there is. <laughs> You're right. There is. There's, you know, there's one. Yeah, yeah. Good. Which is it, exactly what you need. It was worrying about the payroll last the week. The payroll, <laughs> Why are you bringing all the payroll? For? But it's legitimate. You have to pay these. You know, you've got a couple of space marines and a, and a, and a medic. You've got to pay them. You know, they're not doing it for free, are they? <laughs> Do you do miles? So the first one we normally go for mm. is the Messianic Megalomaniac, the Games Master Award. Oh, yeah. Which I think I won for five years in a row. <laughs> You're the Anton Deck, aren't you? You're like Anton Deck <laughs> at the British TV Awards or yeah. whatever it is. You all to win. Largely because only two of us vote and you have the casting vote. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. 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 It doesn't really work as a format list, does it? Not really, no. That one doesn't. <laughs> and it goes to, what, a games master with a messianic megalomania? No, no, no. no. I, I guess these, these old things are contrivances, aren't they, for us to talk about it. Uh, particular aspects of games mm-hmm. so don't think about it too much it's just th- right. this bit this bit is for <laughs> you say don't think about it you, you generally tell me to think about it <laughs> quite cross if I'm not uh, <laughs> this one's about games masters so yes. the games in particular um, particular games mastering styles and things that you've enjoyed mm. Can I can I put mine forward? First? You put yours forward because I, I think I know what you're going to say. But go on. All oh, right. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I'm going to nominate Steve Ray. All oh, right, Rex. It's yeah. game. He's vexed into game yes. vexed. Yes. Because he ran uh, Red Markets uh, for us uh, this year and uh, took us through, as we said. Quite Long sessions, weren't they? They were long sessions. They were long sessions over a long period of time. They were long sessions over a long period of time with the game system that, in the end, I think we grew to like, with the exception of Sam didn't. But, you know, one player in particular didn't like it. But we grew to like it. Uh, and that's in no small part due to Steve's perseverance with yeah. it. That he just kept going, didn't he? He did. Yeah. <laughs> he just kept going. The first rule of games mastering keep going. Barrel on. Barrel on. Yeah, thinking about it, I would agree. I think I'd agree because it was quite an achievement, wasn't it? That he uh, kept going. He, he kept going through it because it is quite an unusual game. Yeah, the system's unusual. The whole concept bit. The concept behind it's not unusual as zombie apocalypse, but but it's wrong to say it's as simple as zombie apocalypse. It's not quite as simple as that, is it? There's more no. going on. No. It is. I think you might have said it's a game that critiques capitalism, doesn't it? It's yeah. a role playing game, a zombie apocalypse, but it critiques capitalism. Yeah, in a very simplistic way. It's a hard. It's a hard yeah. sell, that isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It does it in quite a simplistic way, but yeah. it is quite novel as well, the way that it does it. And we've spoken about it at length on our Lanth Rex's Gaming Vexes yeah. podcast. But I just wanted to point out the games mastering, because no, it wasn't just a case of uh, barrelling on. No. I think um, Steve's quality, and I've said, said this to him, is that he does adhere to the rules, although yeah. he's willing to wear them if it's getting a bit too much but I think he made a point in this to make sure that we were really kicking the tyres of the different rules, particularly in negotiation because yeah. he yeah. could have hand waved that yeah. but it's the fundamental part yeah. of playing the game and even though the players were saying why are we doing this what, what, 
what are we getting out of this? But that is part of the struggle, isn't it? The struggle is, is that you've got to try and influence and use all the things at your disposal to break even ahead uh, head of doing the job. Um, and so I think I think that's where I think that's where the games mastering skill came out. Really. I would agree because I think Steve is a combination of he's, he's an inventive and engaging games master, but he has a keen interest in the rules and how they play out within the game. So yeah. he's not frightened to stop and go, hang on, let's find out exactly how that works. Yeah. And I, I'm, you're more guilty of it than me, but we're both guilty yeah. in the midst of a game. Think, oh God, I don't know how that works. So, uh, let's just barrel on. Maybe yeah. it's not barreling on. Maybe it's not actually yeah. barreling on, is it? We barrel on. But what Steve will do is he'll stop and go, give me, give me a minute, just look that up. And yeah. that is kind of worthwhile. It's yeah. sometimes worthwhile to stop in a game and look at the rule and see how that actually plays out in the game because that is the game you're playing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So as you say, we read markets. There were things. There were things in it that I thought I'd hand wave some. I'd hand wave some of this. But he yeah. didn't because he was interested in seeing how it works within yeah. the game. And, and, and even and even if there was a rule or something within the rule book that did describe it and if there wasn't it's a well they don't tell you how to do that so let's do a ruling yeah. on it yeah, yeah. yeah. whereas I think you're right um, I, I'm quick to jump to a ruling because that's the orthodoxy isn't it? it you know the rule of cool whatever's happening at the yeah. table just <laughs> go with it go don't with interrupt it. the flow and all yeah. that yeah. But, but sometimes it's good to interrupt the flow and and it makes you wonder doesn't it given that when we first started playing red markets we were all a little bit puzzled by it and a little, there was a lot of head scratching. And we were all, it's fair to say, we were all thinking, maybe even Steve himself, thinking, yeah. I'm not sure about this. Yeah. But it begs the question whether Steve engaging with the rules and bringing the rules into it made it better. Yes, yeah. If he'd yeah. hand-waved loads of stuff, would we have a different view of it? But, but we, we definitely would because you would say, why are we doing this with this system? which is yeah. clearly hard work whereas as you've said previously once you get your head around the system you realise that it's fundamental to the game that um, it, ex- it reveals itself yeah. um, tactically it reveal- as you get familiar with dealing with the things that yeah. you have to deal with you realise oh, this is, this is how you overcome it yeah. Um, but you've got to learn by trial and error just as you would in those situations, in those situations. it emulates that yeah. kind of feeling of you're in a desperate situation yeah. um, people are not familiar with it because it's still happening, it's still breaking out and you're learning to deal with it Yeah, yeah. so that's my nomination well I think I'd agree with that actually because I'm trying to think about Impeccable games mastering experiences. I'm not sure. I mean, you, have, you have played some games with me uh, this. Uh... Oh, I have, yeah, but I can't nominate you. I might, should I nominate you? You nominate yourself, should I nominate myself? <laughs> You should nominate yourself. Nominate yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you criticised me one year for doing that. So I think you should. Uh, You're going to make me do that. Yeah. Oh, I know it, Steve as well. So yeah, so it's a unanimous thing, isn't it? So it's Steve. I have to say, like, let's not forget all the people who've run games for us. You're all very, you've all done very, very well. Yeah, and you're all winners, young Mr. Grace. You, you do very, very well, Mr. Grace. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> you're all winners. You're yeah. all winners. But Steve's the winner. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, Is that yeah. what we're saying? Yeah, that's what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, well done. Direct. You are the winner. Well, well done. Book Club. Welcome to the Book Club, where we've got YouTuber and reviewer extraordinaire Bud from Bud's RPG Reviews. Hello there, Bud. Good morning. It's good to see your face. We were just speculating whether you were just going to show us your hands for this. I did think about it. Where do those hands broadcast from? This desk here is in my dining room. And from your accent, that must be located somewhere near the River Mersey. It's about a 10-minute walk from the beach. It's an industrial beach, but it is a beach. So for people who don't know your YouTube channel, how would you describe it? It's just normally me and my hands. I mean, the initial idea was to show the hands because I was scared to show my face, which, to be fair, for the most part, is still the case. Um, But it's kind of grown into just a thing now, so I just keep on doing it. I initially started off with, I mean, I think it was Delta Green was the first book I did, and it just kind of went from there. And I, and I think I kind of I, I got the most kind of hits when I did RuneQuest Second Edition. I got a huge following on, especially on Twitter, with people, you know, who were fans of RuneQuest. And it's just kind of it's kind of gone from there, to be honest. I mean, the initial the initial reviews were like eight minutes long, and now like I do like eight part series on things, and you know, it's. It's more deep divey now than it is a, just a quick kind of overview. So what's your current subscriber count at? Because this is going to be um, relevant to the discussion later. Just 7,000 or something. Right, so it's built up quite a bit there, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah especially over the lockdown. And as well as uh, doing reviews, you do um, the Illumination series as well. When I got into RuneQuest, a friend of mine, Mark, he's, he's like an encyclopedia of RuneQuest. He once explained how, how illumination worked to me. And I remember saying to him at the time, if you hadn't explained that to me, I would never have got that. And that just got me thinking there are so many things which just need someone to, to just talk about how they work for people to wrap their head around it. I did the Delta Green series on like the on things like uh, willpower works, how combat works, how hypergeometry works. And from there, I thought RuneQuest is really prime for that. Because there's so many things in RuneQuest which really do need an explanation because they differ so greatly from other settings. In RuneQuest, genuinely is is like kind of a world unto itself. And so I started with the Lightbringers, and I've done since then the Red Goddess and I've done Illumination. And the Illumination one was probably the most difficult so far. I'm planning others. I've got I'm going to do one on the Trolls of of Glorantha. And I'm going to, I think I'll do one on hero questing because then again I think it's something people can't wrap their head around, and it's hard to wrap your head around it. I mean, RuneQuest isn't easy. I mean, with pinging you on Twitter saying, "Look at this, I've just been sent," and it was a message someone sent me saying, um, "It's your videos and the Grognal files that's got me back into playing RuneQuest again," and that that is that is immensely rewarding to be honest. The one I get the most is Delta Green because obviously I've done lots of Delta Green videos. I have to ask you, what is it about Delta Green that you find? so attractive because i know that's your one of your key games i like a modern setting which is immediately obvious in in, in viral when i remember i remember reading the first delta green book back in the day and thinking that was it was the greatest role-playing book i'd ever read because it was it was written in such a plausible manner that the whole idea of of america betraying the world in order to get technology the greys being puppets of the uh of the of the, the Migo and things like it it just really all kind of clicked for me. And also in the original Delta Green, there's there's lots of great characters and there's great groups like the Karatechia. Dennis the Twiller once sent a thing where someone had done you know, like a kind of video on YouTube about a hidden 
Nazi group of sorcerers, and it, and it was they, they thought it, the Karatechia were real. <laughs> they, they actually put this whole video together about the evidence for the Karatechia, and then I said to us, like, uh, I invented them, they're not real. But it was written in such a plausible manner, apart from the kind of eating babies. So, so it's a combination of the uh, writing and the fact that it's in a modern setting. Presumably, you played uh, Cthulhu in the 20s. How does it differ? Delta Green, you're part of a covert organisation. Generally, in Call of Cthulhu, you're like, you're academics. That's the, the biggest thing, how it differs. It's the secrecy aspect of Delta Green, which I enjoy. The kind of espionage-esque side of it. Although I'm not generally a fan of espionage kind of games. I think Delta, Delta Green does it right by mixing it with it. With, and the whole point, you're kind of men in black as well, where you, you, your whole point of what you're doing is to protect the public. And make sure these things stay hidden. I think it's the first game that I played where you had an awareness that your character had a background that you could tap into. And that was important. So some of the things that you'd experienced was off screen. Well, I mean, that's very much a thing in Delta Green as well. You have the, you have the whole idea of bonds, which are it's your life outside of Delta Green, and you can come to lean on your bonds to keep 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 it together in stressful situations. But by doing so, you damage those bonds, you know, because you know you think of people returning from Vietnam. You know, it was the idea of going back home to see their families again, which kept them going. But when they arrived back home, they couldn't let go. They couldn't um, they couldn't live a normal life again. And I think Delta Green leans heavily on that, which is something I enjoy. Uh, in the book club today, we've been looking at uh, Viral, which has got a, a subtitle of a modern Call of Cthulhu scenario. How did you start with this? Okay, it was originally a scenario I wrote for Liminal for Virtual Grogmeat 2020. A, a guilty pleasure of mine is ghost hunting shows as much for the laughs as anything else. I put together the idea of tying it in with liminal and it was meant to be a, a pre-liminal scenario as in in the original version of viral you're not aware of the, of the supernatural well as much as a group of ghost hunters can be aware of the supernatural you're not of the real supernatural world that exists within the world of liminal you will go into this haunted island which was meant to be haunted by the ghost of a of a woman who'd killed herself after a child had died and what's happening in the background, it was in the world of Limel, a fae was bound to the island, which I picked on was a Scottish one called a Gilly, a Gilly Do, I think it was. And I'd been driven mad by being bound to the island, and that was causing all the ghost activity. And at the end of the scenario, when eventually, you know, everything kicks off, um, the guy who ferries you over there, the local kind of sheriff of this little town, you know, reveals himself to be a member of, of, you know, part of one of the organisations of Liminal and, like, now you're invited kind of thing. And there's the idea of it gets you into Liminal. So so cut, cut away from that, I've been running Impossible Landscapes for Delta Green, the, the, the big campaign. One of my players, Alex Gallot, who has been a, been a patron of mine for, for a number of years, and uh, he played in, he's played in Liminal before with me. And I invited Alex along because I thought it might be something he enjoyed being a you know quite a prolific Cthulhu writer. And he was he was very much like, yeah, that sounds sounds great. So we've been playing this for months now. I just happened to mention this scenario idea I had for a group of, of ghost hunters getting in above their heads. And he just said to me, that sounds like it could be a good, a good Miskatonic repository um scenario with that. Do you fancy doing it? And then I haven't seen Alex's other work and how good it is. I was I was very much on board with that. I said, yeah, I'd love to. And it just kind of went from there. 
and we did multiple rewrites of it, um, chain blocks throughout the course of it. We ran it, um, I ran it six times, he ran it three times, so it had, it had a, a good amount of playtesting. And eventually we, we released it in April. And that, that's a kind of positive history of how it, we got to where we are now. So for people who are not aware of the uh, plot, you've mentioned that it's because uh, it's based in ghost hunting and ghost hunting video. So tell us a bit about the Spectral Crew and uh, what happens. Right, the Spectral Crew, the gang, are based on most, for the most part, on people I know. Um, really? There's the, there's, apart from Marco, who's the, who's the main guy, who's a complete narcissist who always follows the money, he's based on multiple people from various ghost hunting shows. He's like an amalgamation of what they're all like if you were to kind of distill them down. But the, the psychic they have is based on a girl I used to go out with who used to, who used to claim she could see auras. Um, they've got a big, big burly guy called Enoch who's a, who's a former um, Amish who left during the Rumspringer and never came back. Um, he's based on the drummer in the band they used to be in because he was like a bear of a man with a big beard. Um, one of the guys on, on the crew is a guy called Peter. He's essentially a saboteur. He sets up evidence. And Hyung, we needed, uh, Hyung so we needed someone who was going to be technically minded and, and be somebody who was willing to debunk and willing to call out for the evidence for not really being evidence. So that's we created Hyung for that, that purpose, being a tech guy and being the guy who was willing to, to stand up essentially to, uh, to, to Marco, the main guy. Yeah, so that, 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 that's the crew in a nutshell. But there's, a, there's in the scenario as well, there's a super fan, a girl called Emily. And there's various ways you can bring Emily into the scenario, as in if you need an extra player, she could be someone who won a competition to go along with them. But also there's, there's the idea that she could be part of a rival ghost hunting group. And there's also the idea that she's discovered where they are and went there herself and is now on the island when they arrive. There's plenty of kind of ways of getting this this extra character in. <coughs> so yeah, that that's it. That's the crew in a in a nutshell. But there's obviously more to them than that. They've all got things going on in the background. There might be spoilers here. There might be spoilers. I will put a note at the point when spoilers occur. Okay. It, there's quite a lot of information front loaded, isn't it, in the mm-hmm. uh, characters and. I guess it, you know, you play tested it. It depends, doesn't it, on that group dynamic. And most of the flavor and uh, enjoyment of this game comes through the interaction with the players. I'd agree with that. Yeah. It, also, there's uh, this incentive, isn't there, for the crew as they go onto the island to build up the subscriptions because it's a, it, it's got this live monitor and there's a time imperative as well. So how does that play out in the, in the game when you're running it? it? It plays out through the interaction with the with the audience because we've what we found was during running, Ed, the person who played Marco would do anything to try and get the subscriber count or the money. And it didn't matter who played them. No one was careful with them. No one said no to anything that was that was pushed in their direction. It, I, the way I did it, and the way I did it multiple times, and the way it evolved was, it was to, to use the audience as a way of driving, because the whole point of Marco is he follows the money. He wants to be rich and famous, and he doesn't care who he has to sacrifice to do it. And so he, like, like with the lemon grove, and there's all the weird lemons growing off the trees, the amount of fun we had with that during 
during playtest and getting people to eat them and and they're all full of flies and there's all sorts of horrible things, but they would just do it. Hmm. There was no kind of care for the character whatsoever. I think it'd be a bit different if it was characters you play for a long time. I think it's more to if it's characters that you you know, as as Paul Mitchell once said to me, he said, you know, you ride a, a you ride a, a character from a from a convention or from a short game like a stolen car. You know, you, you just you just do what you want with it. Uh, I think more care would be taken if they belong to the same character. You give the alternative, don't you, to run this over a, a series of sessions or as mm-hmm. a one shot. Do you think? It, how do you think it works best? And what's your experience of playing it? It's better over th- over three sessions because I ran it as a one shot at Grogmeat last year, which Paul Fricker played in. It it worked, but it was kind of like if you hadn't if you hadn't read a really good book, but then watched an abridged version of the movie. They got an abridged version of it, which although it was worked well, you're not getting the full experience. The whole point is, when we released the original version, it was it was a two session scenario. But as as me and Alex talked more about it, I was very much of the, of the mind we should have done something before it to, to set the scene, and that's why I said we we came to the agreement that if we got to print, we would do the unredacted version, which would add the setting scene, but at the beginning the whole one night in Perla in the in the local town, which which while by itself is not a, it's not harmful. It's not meant to be a, something that destroys the sanity of the players. It's definitely meant to set the creepiness level at a certain volume. Yeah, it kind of foreshadows, doesn't it, what's going to happen? Yeah. Um, but in a quite subtle way compared with yeah. the intensity of being on the island. Well, yeah, because because it, it it's kind of it kind of goes like a curve like that, doesn't it? The adventure, you know, it's quite mellow. You know, things occasionally will pop and crackle, but then eventually, when you get to the big pit at the end, it just goes off the scale and turns full, being chased by a giant monster. I want to talk about that giant monster as well. Um, it's got quite a few uh, features because that's always a challenge, isn't it, with um, these Cthulhu games coming up with uh, an interesting antagonist. So, just talk about the design of that. Um, well, I'm, I know I'm going to pronounce the name wrong because when we were at um, UK Games Expo this year, Mike, Mike Mason pronounced Hastelik completely different to how we pronounced it. And I still don't know how it's pronounced. The The idea was, because obviously the title is viral and it has multiple meanings throughout the scenario. The idea of them going viral is a different thing to them becoming viral. So the monster is a viral entity that passes through disease yeah so it plays on that one title i was very I, it was something i had very solid in my mind because because alex basically went through the malleus monstrorum and he found this little this little entity called hastelic which had like three paragraphs or something like that four paragraphs written about it and he, alex came back to me he said that's going to be something nobody knows about hardly anyone has ever heard of and yet it's perfect for what we want it for. So I, I was very much like the, the idea is like, have you, have you ever seen a viral bacteria phage? A, a real one. Mm-hmm. They look like they, they look like something alien. They're horrific looking. And mad, I said, now imagine one of them 50 foot tall, you know, pulsing with cysts and have like a halo of flies around its head. And you've got yourself a, a kind of a mythos entity, haven't you? And so that was the whole point of it. It was, it was, 
the idea is that the monks have been building to this day, but eventually it will be birthed and having grown from this microscopic entity to this colossal bacteriophage-esque creature, because it's going to take the form of, of of disease, which is what what a bacteriophage is. It's a it's a it's a viral thing that spreads a disease, and it's. I mean, when Seth did his review of it, there were a lot of comments saying the use of, of, of making it a giant bacteriophage is inspired because it's really, it really, really suits it. And I was like, yeah, you know, it, it, we, I think we got we got that one right. You know, that that kind of the idea of making Hastonic this this monstrous real world kind of thing, which you know, you think you see as I say, you see a bacteriophage, they look alien. But they're not. They're what. They're what past things like COVID. I think I made the point in the book club that I, I quite like <coughs> it can it affect the environment so much, and uh, the fact that you've got uh, flies make uh, it always make things uh, a little bit more horrific. Well, also the flies are are utilitarian, aren't they? Because they, at the end, they pass into the Wi-Fi repeaters and spread it through the internet. The, the flies are not meant to be necessarily the the, the essence of Hastonic, rather than just simple flies and the fact that it has a halo of flies it's like a it's like a profane what saints have above their heads kind of thing and it uses them to attack as well it's yeah and the book defined has a big fly on the cover because the because obviously flies are known as the spreaders of diseases i've heard that there's a a sequel in the offing is that right is. so how will well, that work and what can what can we expect i'm not going to tell you how that'll work <laughs> because ah. Because I want to play test it first. Now, there'll probably be another play testers sat here now. We are doing a sequel to it called Quarantine, but we've got another scenario we're doing in between, which is a standalone thing called Inversion. Again, it's Cthulhu Modern, because it's completely modern. It's something I feel strongly about. But people say you can't do horror. I was like, you ever watched an episode of Black Mirror? Cthulhu Modern is way scarier than, than, than kind of old horror, as far as I'm concerned. Because it preys on, because with modern horror, it preys upon the um, the things you take for granted. You know, you, the idea I can Google it. Well, what if what's answering you is not Google? Um, <laughs> yeah, we are, we are, do have plans for a, a, a sequel, and me and Alex have discussed it, and we have got a few ideas for it. And we wrote we wrote the sequel into the um, into the ending of the unredacted version. Thanks, uh, thanks, Bud, uh, from all of us here at the book club. And it, what's good f- for me to hear is uh, that this has been developed in uh, the grog meat space, both virtual grog meat and at grog meat life. So that, that's good to hear. And I'm looking forward to the sequel, but I do think you should put Devika Cora and Yvette Fielding in as a cameo. Well, we- Devika Cora's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he died about two years ago, didn't he? Yeah, is he though? Is he? <coughs> well, that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Bud. Right. See you later, guys. So we've moved on a bit. We're in a different pub. We're in the oldie Jolly Crofters. Uh, we've moved on. This used to be my walk all day. So I used to come to the quiz here. The oldie Jolly Crofters. Yeah. As opposed to the new one. And we've just missed Macca, because they're playing Christmas songs in here. Yeah, there's been a few Christmas songs, haven't there? I mentioned Macca because, for me, this year, it's been the year of the Beatles as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as well as gaming, I have set myself a challenge to read 
a book, a different Beatles book every month. Mm. So I've read 12 Beatles books. I was kind of obsessed because of Get Back. You know when Get Back came out? Oh, yeah. Back in the yeah. last year. Yeah, yeah. And I watched it. He and he genuinely saw the Beatles like he never saw them before. Yeah, it was odd, wasn't it? Because you saw them kind of relaxed. There was a point where they were just themselves. Yeah. Which was interesting to see. Like a kind of uh, weird experiment, wasn't it? If the cameras are on, but there'll come a point. Like an early version of Big Brother with the Beatles. Yeah. Well, eventually, within about 20 minutes of the cameras rolling, they forget the cameras are there. And yeah. just act like they normally do. I think as well, there's, it's about a whole set of assumptions that people have made about who they were at that point and the relationship between them at that point. And it kind of exposed all of that as it was wrong. Everybody's assumptions about how they were fighting with each other and couldn't work together. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and everything, the history of the Beatles needs to be rewritten. And I think that was part of the drive to read that stuff again yeah. to reacquaint myself with what was the story what what was Hunter Davis's story what was Philip Norman's version of events and to, it's to, 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 to it's revisit it's a questionable thing though, isn't it when people talk about bands fighting because you do wonder is it possible to create good music if you are genuinely fighting all the time in that within that process that seems like yeah. productive doesn't it so you wonder, you always wonder whether these things are a little bit over, overhyped in terms of the degree of animosity yeah. that exists at the time of recording and, music. And you could see, I mean, there's well one story that you know, even when they were at the height of the arguments in '69, uh, um, McCartney joined uh, Lennon to record um, the the ballad of um, yeah, Johnny yeah, Yoko. Yeah. And which is always says it's a Beatles song, but it isn't. It, it was yeah. just uh, John Lennon and uh, Paul McCartney working yeah. together. And when you see them working together on that Get Back documentary, you can see that they're looking at each other and they create. They're just drawing from each other yeah, uh, yeah. creative energy. It's amazing, amazing. And I, what I find fascinating is that there are a whole lot of people that have died who were Beatles enthusiasts who have never, never seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Will have only known it's the strange version. that it's existed for so long without yeah. really being released. When yeah. you look at it, you think a kind of gold mine of I don't know what you call it, gold mine of kind of like like cin- not cinema, like documentary making yeah. or just real life documentary of these people who were like strangely like icons, aren't they? They have a strange quality to them. The Beatles, yeah. it's the Beatles, isn't it? You know. Yeah. There's something odd about them. They're not. They're not like normal humans, are they? You don't view them that way. Paul McCartney walks in the room. You would think, oh my God, it's Paul McCartney. It's a deal, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know. But there it is, and it's not. It's only now that it's kind of really surfaced. Yeah. It's strange, isn't it? Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Mm. Anyway, and talking about uh, really strange <laughs> people. Yeah, stop, stop shoehorning your obsessions into a gaming <laughs> podcast. All right. Yeah. No one. In, no one cares about the Beatles. People probably don't even know who they are. <laughs> Let's let's look at the next uh, award, and that is for the Olive Kinsberg Players, Players, and People That We Play With. It's just talking about games, really. This one, they are, they, <laughs> it's, all, like it all, all, it's all talking about games, <laughs> yeah. Just picking out one that, um, players, yeah, was particularly good at playing experience, I think. 
Yes, as a player. As a player. As yeah. a player. Yeah. Well, mm. go on. You can start. What's your What's your experience as a player? I've, um, you know, we've been. We've got to a point now, haven't we, where we're quite familiar with the people that mm. we uh, play with. That's been one of the great things about creating a community. It's getting familiar with people and getting to know them and uh, playing with them on a regular basis whether yeah. that's yeah. at conventions or when you've got our regular groups but I did play with um, the good friends of Jackson Alliance's um, weekend with a good friend online uh, game oh, convention yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, earlier in the year and I played um, gangbusters and it was really good because there were different players people I'd never played yeah. with yeah. Uh, previously and it was just good to connect with people out of our normal Venn diagram. Mm. Yeah, yeah. This sometimes it shakes it up a bit because yeah, I know what you mean. We develop like familiar groups that play in familiar ways, which is great actually because it makes the whole experience much more enjoyable. But it, it's good sometimes to just shake it up a bit and find yourself. It's high risk, isn't it? Because we've talked about when we talked about Expo, the, the Wild West thing of I don't know who I'm going to get here. This could all go very badly wrong. <laughs> yeah. It does sometimes, doesn't it? But it, the, the flip side to that is it can go very, very well, and that it kind of energizes the game a little bit. Yeah. And we, and so when we uh, in February played um, Death on the Docks, which is a Gangbusters campaign that I managed to get into a couple of hours mm. somehow I don't know how to do it but somehow I managed to do <laughs> condense it condense it condense it and uh, start at the you can do it I, I think do you know what this slight digression here but I think you can with particularly with old school scenarios because with old school stuff that is genuinely old school not, not pretending to be old school but genuinely from the past you do realise sometimes there's a lot of superfluous stuff you can hack out yeah you know, modern, modern scenarios a bit more um, they, they pack more in they're yes. more conscious of making it interesting but those old school scenarios there are bits of it where you think there's loads of superfluous guff here I could just hack out you know, I don't have yeah. to really play through some of this you know. and not only that if you can use um, things like flashbacks and yeah, exactly. you can cover yeah, modern, a lot more, of... more modern techniques to, to speed it up a bit yeah, yeah to deliver yeah, it you can but it's not that playing experience at the beginning of the year that I'm going to turn to. I did it again. I did the Good Friends of uh, Jackson Alliance's um, convention and the people came back. The people came back that I played with. <laughs> it must be doing it right. It must be doing it right. It must be doing it right. And we played um, Fall of Delta Green, the gumshoe. And you played, didn't you? Because um, yeah. I had to yeah, uh, yeah. cancel the original slot and I managed to get you to play. And... Um, I played a, a scenario which is very Beatles associated. See how I managed to do you that? You shoot on it in here, not you? Yeah, I managed to get the Beatles back yeah. in. <laughs> um, and it's part of the uh, unit campaign. So, um, Kiha of this parish has been getting together a group of games masters to play uh, unit from Doctor Who mm. uh, style games, uh, different games masters uh, playing different. Uh, scenarios with uh, different systems but all based around the um, unit and so um, my uh, scenario and it's going to be a three-parter I'm going to do it I'm going to do the second part with the same group I might do it with the same group I'm going to just put it out there and see if they want to do it yeah I'll do it go on go on I'll do it you persuaded (laughs) me and it's this idea that 
um, John Lennon was uh, born during the time when they were uh, shelling of Liverpool yeah. and that he somehow released something that affected him and when he went to America he was signed up as a CIA agent and that's it because he had these supernatural powers which they managed to suppress when he was in America and keep under wraps because he saw him as sort of a subversive mm. unit if they fell in the hands of the Soviets back in the USSR like you don't know where you are boy weaponising weaponising <laughs> they, they thought they'd, they thought they'd suppressed it but he went to India didn't he he went to India did all that mm. transcendental stuff and he's reawakened so he's dangerous yeah. he's out there dangerous affecting the youth Against this is your scenario, it's not something you really think. <laughs> we get you know, enthusing to the point where you think this. Yes. So, so my, my three scenarios are loosely around that. I mean, it's on the edges, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I enjoyed I enjoy the scenario. I think the slightly disappointing element was that you um, messaged me prior to the scenario and said, and you made a typo that one of the characters was Liz Shaw working for you, Liz Shaw, who is. Uh, John Pertwee's assistant in, in Doctor Who, isn't she? Yeah. But you made a typo and said, Liz Smith is available. <laughs> I expect you to go for that character because you're a Doctor Who fan. And I thought, no, you didn't say Doctor Who, you just said Liz Smith is available. I expect you to go for that character. And I thought, a grandma, the actress Liz Smith who played the grandma in the royal family. <laughs> and I thought, what's she doing in it? Yeah. What? And I realised you meant Liz Shaw, didn't you? Yeah. But you put Liz Smith. Yeah, I, did, I, was, I, did. I was geared up to play a grandma from the royal family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead, I had to play Doctor oh. Who companion. Oh. Gram- grandma, she's a vegetarian. Oh, I am sorry, love. <laughs> <laughs> I had all my lines practised and everything. I thought it would be the best bit of role playing you've ever seen. Oh, it's not, it's not grandma from the royal family. Yeah. Oh, all right. Never mind. So there we go. That's my uh, playing experience. Um, with those, uh, I was a GM, but I really enjoyed that group of players. I thought yeah, yeah, they yeah. brought a lot to me. I, I, I had a lot of fun play, playing games this year, uh, as I always do. I would, I'm going to put forward as my nominee for this award. Yeah, Steve Rumney. Steve Rumney, who ran Slipstream for us, yeah. and we've we've enjoyed Slipstream. We've enjoyed Necessary Evil that Mark's been running, but of course we've not finished Necessary Evil yet. That's still ongoing, isn't it? Yeah. But as we said earlier, we, we finished a Slipstream, didn't we? And that, that was an amazing experience because it was a, a long, long campaign, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was. We yeah. played, we've played big stuff, but it was every other Wednesday for... Was it about three? About three years. Three years, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And I played, I played a Cyclops, didn't I? We all yeah. played it. It was interesting because it's, it's like Slipstream. Is Savage Worlds, and it's like a Flash Gordon-style universe, isn't it? And when we when we finished that, I, I found it strange. I've had a drink, but you'll have <laughs> don't, to don't get emotional. I did find it strangely emotional because I thought, wow, I've played a character for a long time over every other Wednesday for three years, with, with a few breaks in summer, but not much of a break. I played a character, and built that character up over that time. And we've all built our characters yeah. up. That is one of the beauties of role-playing, isn't it? That long-term campaign 
Get it again with the characters. Get in with the characters. Know each other's characters. Develop the characters. Get advancement. Yeah. Get better and better. Then have a final showdown with Queen Anapraxa. And, and just great. It was a great experience, you know. Yeah. And, and in a way, it's it's that peculiar thing about a regular game with a regular group. I suppose it's the opposite of what you're saying. That it becomes something that you do. Yeah. Wednesday group is something that I do. That's yeah. what I do. And it yeah. keeps ticking over. And it keeps going. But when we finished that campaign, I did think to myself, wow, that's an amazing thing. Three, three year campaign. Yeah. We've not scrimped on it. We've not cut any bits out. We've not fast forwarded. We've done it by the book. All the way through. And played characters right from the beginning. Joint experiences that we share. Yeah, yeah. joint experiences. And also a bit of... Um, as you something you alluded to in previous podcasts, the system mastery thing of really getting into the setting and getting into the the characters, but also getting into the game system, yeah. knowing how your character works, knowing what you can do, yeah. know what you can do, know what you can't do, working as a team, knowing who can do what and how they're going to do it. All those, all those kind of things, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. you know. So as a player, I, I nominate him for the award because. As a player, that was a great long-term experience. Well, Steve's going to get it then, isn't he? Definitely. Steve's won it. He can um, put it with his cup of sobriety, which he <laughs> won <laughs> yeah. when I did a roll on the virtual table. Oh, there you go. Okay, so um, what's up next? We've got the Sharon Osborne Award, the game that looks new, but it's actually quite old. So what are you going to go for? My nomination will be Traveller. Yeah, okay. Because this year, I kind of rediscovered Traveller. Um, we started Pirates of Genax back end of this year. Uh, and I've run a few one-shot, I ran a, a, a few con games. Um, so it's what I started, I suppose, the year before. I ran a bit of grog meat. Um, but this year has been a year of Traveller. Um, and what's really strange about it is, the last time I ran Traveller, you ran Travel Adventure a few years ago, but last time I ran Travel, probably about 1985, 1986. And of course, it has, has been documented in this podcast. Kind of fell out with it a bit. Yeah. I thought it was rubbish. And now I've kind of come back to it. And I do think it's brilliant. Yeah. Once you get your head around the fact, it's a relatively straightforward game with lots of mini games attached to it, which I think back in the day I didn't quite appreciate. But once somebody points out that a lot of the rules are mini-games, so building spaceships in Highgard is a mini-game, you can ignore it. Building yeah. vehicles, you can ignore it. Character creation is a mini-game. But once you've done it, you don't do it again, do you? So you need a new character. Yeah. Uh, and also that thing that it's like a toolbox to do lots of different... Although it has its own setting, you can do lots of different science fiction things with it. Maybe you know? uh, playing Savage World so much has kind of got your head readjusted yeah, to could, deal with yeah, it. Yeah, it could be that. Yeah, there are. I think there are parallels between Traveller and Savage World. Not not in terms of the system, but in terms of that kind of outlook. The approach. Yeah, it, it is a you know a toolbox game, and I never appreciated that when I was younger. I think perhaps we'll come back um, next year and uh, look at Traveller in a bit more detail again. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean. We've covered it quite a bit. We have but, covered it quite a bit, yeah. But there's still uh, bits of. Yeah, I suppose we just started started Pirates of Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. Next uh, year we'll have played a lot more of it. So. Yeah, and I've enjoyed uh, playing. I've enjoyed 
that and um, perhaps talk in a bit more detail about this in the future but how the character creation system created a relationship between mine and Jonathan's character yeah yeah which you know normally you would just leave that behind wouldn't you once you've done your backstory yeah yeah but for some reason and I think it's partly because of the way we're playing it the actual background that we have is repeating itself in in play <laughs> so I'm creating trouble for and he has to try and sort it out he has to try and sort it out I, I I'm, I'm, I'm the book smart and he's the street smart yeah. psionic isn't it yeah. Uh, and it's um, so you instigated a duel with an Aslan last time yeah and he had to fight it yes <laughs> <laughs> just because I'm a smart ass yeah, yeah. Uh, my character and so is your character yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bum right okay well I think uh, my nomination is going to be Request Glorantha oh yeah right. So um, it's bittersweet, this. Mm. It's bittersweet because um, we talked earlier about uh, Monday being a casualty of just not being able to fit it in and too much going on outside of my gaming life. Mm. However, we did start to get a bit of purchase on having a campaign where you were playing High Llama uh, Nomads on a migration path across packs. And I did it as a bit of a Monster of the Week type approach. And not only just to test uh, RuneQuest Gorantha, but also to rediscover what I loved about Gorantha back in the day, particularly when the denizens of Prax and uh, some, of the, some, of the, some of the monsters in there, and uh, having pl- plenty of action focus. It was like a fight every week, wasn't there? And, uh, so I really enjoyed that. So I, I'm going to um, put uh, RuneQuest, and again, I think we... I think we do another podcast on RuneQuest at some point. Mm. How did you find it? I I enjoyed it. I, I thought though it, it was. Is it a bit a bit of reservation here? You're not you're not springing for. I enjoyed it. I, I think the way you ran the scenario and the group were great because I do think there is that problem these days with Galantha of too much too much background lower, lower, lower equals equals snower mm. yeah interesting yeah <laughs> I'm going around to that view um, but I, I, I think the way you ran it was good because it was, did feel like old room quest of old in that you were off in Prax fighting a few monsters and clearing out a, a nest of brews and all that kind of, that kind of thing where that is what you want yeah. from room quest it wasn't it certainly wasn't herding, oh, it wasn't herding cows and it wasn't masket weaving it no, wasn't no. Israeli and Hairdos. That, that, it was none of that, was it? No, no. Which was good. It was good. Oh, well, there was a little bit of uh, cultural uh, <laughs> interaction. I never, asked what, I never asked what year the scenario was set in. <laughs> what year was it set in? Well, I think I did do a bit of... Uh, a bit of what? Cultural, cultural what? in the Morakam. We slaughtered them. We killed them. <laughs> I don't know, but you killed them and you had the option not to. Yeah, right, yeah. Because they had half of our... A few of our tribes people as prisoners. We just killed them on a camp. Yeah, but then there was, pretend, but, but there was repercussions when you got to. There's repercussions, but yeah, so, so I uh, think we were on the verge of killing the repercussions. Well, <laughs> anyway, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I did enjoy that. I, I suppose it was. I think what surprised me, what surprised me about RuneQuest, um, we've played, we have played it before, but I suppose not played it again. Coming back to the theme of the year. A little mini campaign. We've yeah. played it, but we've played it almost as one shots, haven't we? Yeah. Whereas this time we played it over a number of sessions. Is that it is remarkably 
old school. It is, although you've got that yeah. passions and yeah. the runes thing, they don't really lift, I don't think they really lift it too far away from its origins, actually, yeah. Yeah. in terms of its uh, a system of... Whereas, if you look at Traveller, Traveller is essentially the same system, but they have added... I mean, if you get a Traveller Companion, there's like, look, I'm using the look rule yeah, in... Yeah. Uh, in, in Traveller thank goodness thank, thank God yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using a so, so they have they've changed Traveller's still essentially that game but they have added bits on to make it feel a bit more modern whereas I'm not sure we interested it was so deceptive really wasn't it but it felt it felt modern when you looked at the carriage seat but it, in play it did feel like old roots does, does it not therefore qualify maybe it does to win this award again yeah, I think it's won it before it has he won it before? He does win it before, I think. Go on, then. Go on, then. Oh, so, ring quest, go on, then. He was slightly reluctant, so I'll go allow it. Sharon Osborne, <laughs> award winner. Okay, so the next award is <laughs> New Kid on the Top, the Tabletop. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what's your nomination for uh, this? My nomination is, and it's not a new. You've got some. It's new, new for us, isn't it? New, new for us. us. This is new for us, isn't it? Because we don't we don't limit ourselves to games that just been produced this year. That'd be that'd be silly. Um, it has to be Dungeon Crawl Classics. Yeah. This is the year is my discovery of Dungeon Crawl Classics. Yeah. So previously, I've had the view that every time people mention Dungeon yeah. Crawl Classics, I can just hear white noise mm. and uh, want to shrug instantly. Yeah. Funnel. So you're it, it, saying the word funnel is like a way of. It's like I like a hypnotist. If you say funnel, yeah, he still falls asleep. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> this, I think, this is part of your contrarian instinct to think. Well, I'm going to pick that off the shelf and I'm going to. Well, show what it. what happened was I. It was only went to Expo. Expo yeah. is, is at fault because we, we booked our tickets to Expo and I looked at the games on offer and I think I said to you, I was slightly disappointed. I, I think, in a way, it's a bit premature. I think more, more games came online later. But when I initially went on, I was slightly disappointed at the choice of games. There wasn't that much. You know, it, like a couple of good games clashed with mine so you think alright well I'm running a can't play um, Neil was running something I thought right that's a good old sign up to Neil's game and then I was a bit of a, I was a bit of a loss what else to play so I thought right okay there's Dungeon Crawl Classics game being run I'm going to bite the ball I'm going to play Dungeon Crawl Classics see what all the fuss is about see yeah. why people think it's great yeah. it's like a cult isn't it yeah and I, think, I think you told the story didn't you you know where uh, Extra of uh, UK games, Expo and you blew up the table and um, killed half the players or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. But I, bought, I, I booked on game, and then for my birthday, I thought Mrs. Blythe said, "What do you want?" I said, "Get me that Dungeon Crawl Classics rule book, then. Just get me the rule book. I'll the rule book. I'll read the rules because I'm going playing at Expo, so best to know what I'm doing." And uh, played it at Expo, and I just thought it was such good fun. I can see why people have joined that club. Yeah. Because it is such a lot of fun. It, yeah, on the one hand, it's like D&D. So it's all, in the one hand, it's old school D&D. But what it does is it, it steals from lots of other games. So it has critical tables, fungal tables. You roll on tables for spell effects. You've got a look thing. You've got a look mechanic. You've got all different things that it's kind of robbed, I think. Probably unashamedly robbed from other games. What, what it feels like 
and you read it, is it feels like old school D&D. That somebody, and, and this may be what's happened, I suppose, in its very origins, has house-ruled it into this slightly different game that's a bit more fun. And, and they've ironed out some of the things that are irritating about D&D in, in quite a good way. So, dare I say it, even clerics are fun in Dungeon Crawl Classic. Wow. Shocking. Shocking, man. But, they are. So you could... Are fun. Does it have a, a mum-friend table? I would say Dungeon Crawl Classic is not mum-friendly at all. <laughs> it's quite the opposite. It's quite brutal, quite savage and, and very bloody. And, and also it's very Vancian and very Mococcian in the way it approaches things like alignment. So... For example, it has lawful, chaotic, neutral alignments. But it makes the point, lawful people can be bad, chaotic yeah. people can be good. It doesn't have good and evil in it as such. Yeah. And that's kind of like, you know, like Moorcock, the law, yeah. chaos, agents of law, agents of chaos. It's got a lot of that kind of thing going on. And I, I have to say, um, I really enjoy playing at Expo. And I play, I've played it with uh, in my charity work, my friend and his son. Uh, they really enjoyed it. And... I've even put you through a funnel, haven't I? You put me through the You've funnel. You've been through the funnel. You managed to stay awake. Well done. Yeah, and you know what? It was um, good. I mean, this is a nostalgia-based podcast, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. our bread and butter. And, you know, we've got Mar- Mariah Carey playing behind us. And, you know, Christmas time. Not in person. Yeah. Just on a just recording. If it were in person, we wouldn't be out concentrating, would we? <laughs> oh, it's rubbish. <laughs> So we, we got, I'm right. Just can you keep it down a bit. We're recording the podcast. Yeah. Oh, She'll be out. She's a diva. She'd be out if you said that. Yeah, storm out of the pub. Yeah, taking her uh, red M and M's with her. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what I was going to say was, but since like the um, pandemic, we've not really got in, back into the groove of playing with Eddie yeah. uh, once a month and uh, face-to-face yeah. and a game and um, a couple of reasons for that and one of which is that he's not had a table for a, a there is a, a table issue a yeah. table issue uh, but uh, that has now been resolved mm. and uh, this month as you say we played a game we played Dungeon Crawl Classics face-to-face with Eddie and there was a moment when you stood up and you were drawing a map of the dungeon <laughs> yeah, we, we're, yeah. we're tied up and yeah. outside the dungeon yeah and I'm not the hairs on the back of my neck <laughs> because it was just like mm. being back mm. when we were kids and you were doing that thing where you go when you're concentrating you know but you do a skippy noise when you're yeah, when you do the map you go Okay. And you do a bit of a wavy line. I thought, God, this is yeah. this just takes <laughs> this takes me back. So I, I was instantly um, taken yeah. with it. But the other thing about the uh, funnel is that it's amazing. It, it's am- amazing how that functions and creates mm. characters on the fly. Yeah, yeah. Your characters kind of emerge from it, don't they? So you do end up with the cleric, the the, the one, you know, one of your characters, and naturally at the end of it, you thought she she survived. She's naturally going to be the cleric, whereas one's a fighter. And one's a yeah. Magic. Well, one got knighted, didn't he? So yeah, yeah. Instantly, he's a fighter. He's a fighter. Yeah, that's what he's going to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, Sunuk, the tax collector. <laughs> Sunuk, the tax collector. I tried my best to kill him, but he survived. How annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, and I think what it does quite cleverly 
he said, is it gives you an old school, old school feels with some new school rules. Yeah. So what it does quite cleverly is it does have some new school things in there swishing around in the system, but it does manage to still create that sense of old school yeah. gaming without it feeling like. Uh, 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 you know like when you, you as we have done for this podcast sometimes you play an old school game and you, you sit there and think god this is unsophisticated or overly complicated or, yeah. or whatever and, and that somehow takes that nostalgia out of it because you get a bit irritated with it don't you, you yeah, think, yeah. actually it's a bit annoying um, but, but Dungeon Crawl Classics manages to just get the right balance of it's of an old school feel to it but there are enough new school things in it to keep you interested and keep it moving in an interesting way but at the same time not making it feel like it's too new school you see what I mean and and also the good thing about it as well just from a and I think this year we said this a bit last year but maybe it's a bit more acute this year time the world's kind of woken up we went into Covid lockdown lots and lots of time on our hands for gaming and also preparing games and um I think this year I've noticed time's been at a bit of a premium. Yeah. So what Dungeon Crawl Classics does, they produce lots and lots and lots of adventures. Yeah. That you can buy on drive through for a fiver and go, this is actually quite a good little adventure. You can modify it as you see fit. You can play around with it, but the basis of it is quite good. You know? Yeah. So that one we ran, the Well of Brass, as you, I think you said at the yeah. time, it has a bit of a story to it. It's kind of quite inventive and engaging, and you think ah, it's, it's quite good value for money. And yeah, it saves me a bit of time, you know. We're having fun with it, you know, which is what you want. Whereas some some games just have big campaigns, don't they? Yeah. Where Dungeon Crawl Classic does sell, they do sell these kind of mod, almost like old school D and D modules. Yeah. But yeah. again, they're a bit more sophisticated, a bit more, there's a little bit more to them. They have, a, they have a new school sensibility and they're a bit clever a lot of them I yes, think than, yeah. so my, my nomination as you can probably tell is Dungeon Crawl Classics Dungeon Crawl Classics and I think we'll play a lot more of that next year won't we definitely and because uh, it's just good it's just good to be back playing with Eddie and it's a perfect game for us to play together and uh, have fun with my uh, nomination for New Kids on the top to of the table. New kid on the table. Top we top. this problem every year, don't we? New <laughs> kid on, on the table. Top the top, the table top. New the new the... Ga- it's a new game, new tools game. New, new kid tools. on the table. New kid yeah. on the table, table top. Yeah. That's it, isn't yeah. it? I've not played many new games mm. this year, and I think it comes back to that thing where we've played fewer games this year. And I suppose my nomination is a bit of a cheat because it's another Savage Worlds uh, iteration. Uh, which is uh, Wise Guys. This year has been the year of gangsters. It's been the year of Savage Worlds. Yeah. Put the two together, you've got Wise Guys. And if you've listened to our podcast about it, you'll know that it's a good game. However, mixing it with um, the new edition and some of the innovations that's got, like the heist mechanic... You can actually turn it into a story game, mm. which is what I did. We're using the quick encounters, and um, you can cover a lot of ground using it without mm. having a granular 
fight and using those quick encounters. Quick encounters is interesting in Savage Worlds because it's almost like a game within a game, isn't yeah, it? That you yeah. could like is that you could run a game just with quick encounters as quick encounters as the game system real. Yeah. So yeah. what I what I did is on the Roll Twenty is set up a uh, casino table mm. with chips and uh, <laughs> uh, cards, and it just had the it was set in uh, Las Vegas. Mm. You had a wise guy's feel. There was no play mats, no tokens. Mm. It was just using uh, things in that way. So um, yeah, wise guys is my thing. It's um, really good. So I enjoyed that. It's going to be DCC because I think we're going to play a lot more I think of that. It's got to be, isn't it? We, yeah. we finally be converted to the cult of DCC. Yeah. <laughs> Give me more funnel. Give, give me more funnel, yeah. The next one is the a Listener's Award, and this is the uh, listeners who tell us which of the podcasts, we call it a poll like that, listeners' poll, yeah. a poll winner's party, like the Annie Smash Hits, do you remember them? Smash it, yeah, yeah. Smash it, party, which which is the uh, grog pod that they have appreciated the most. Okay. We've had uh, nearly ninety votes, and uh, what do you think is going to be the uh, winning one? I don't, I don't know. You're not asking me, is that? What do I know? The, the one where we're the least, where we're in it the least. Yeah, <laughs> I should probably put my money on that one. Well, it's funny you should say that. It is probably. <laughs> It's the one where we're in the least. Yeah, it is probably one. <laughs> but um, it's the uh, Scarred for Life oh, yeah. episode, yeah, yeah. which kind of blew the rest of them out of the mm. water. It was uh, 40% of uh, the vote went to Scarred for Life, which is odd because it wasn't necessarily about gaming, was it? <laughs> yeah, true. Mm, that was something that. Yeah. yeah. You should stop talking about gaming. Get, go back onto your Beatles thing. Let's yeah, talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about people want. Yeah. They want just want nostalgia, not necessarily yeah. gaming and nostalgia. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Well done uh, to uh, Stephen Brotherston, who is our uh, guest on that episode. And uh, yeah, that's Sky for Life. And while we're on, listeners, it's time for the Groggy of the Year. So who is the member of the Grog Squad? Who oh, deserves the, a warning? Uh, outstanding contribution, lifetime yeah. achievement, lifetime etc. etc. That, that, that et yeah. So, I'm, I've got my nomination. I've already awarded it. I've You've already awarded it. I've taken an executive decision. Oh, I'm going to give that megalomaniac award back to you. <laughs> Sorry, Steve, you haven't got it. He's got it again because he's a megalomaniac. Who are you giving it to? Well, as you know. Um, well, we both had a bit of a difficult year with uh, one thing or another, mm. um, dealing with um, family bereavement. Yeah, yeah and um, autumn was particularly tough um, for me this year. Um, but um, a very kind gesture was uh, given by Doc Cowie. Um, the Diceman um, book has been uh, released by Ian Livingston and Steve Jackson. And uh, tells the story of the origins of Games Workshop. I think we need to. Uh, don't open your Christmas present yet. But uh, <laughs> I don't want to give anything away. No. But we perhaps we'll talk in a bit more detail. About a bit, a bit, a bit. Okay. All right. Yeah. 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 Mm. I wonder what this is. <laughs> yes. I wonder what this bookshelf parcel is. 
but yeah so that uh, was released and um, it it was crowdfunding at the highest level mm. you could have a dinner with uh, you know this don't you with uh, Ian Livingston I know it they don't you yeah. just keep talking it's, it's artifice all this yeah. you've got to tell them what's going on don't, don't, don't it won't work if we just talked about what we already know it wouldn't yeah. make anything incoherent yeah carry on so um, yeah it was a launch party with <laughs> Ian Livingston and uh, Steve Jackson I've written about it on the uh, blog but it was a uh, uh, a lovely thing to do and it was just so well timed I needed to uh, get away um, for a day and uh, just have some time and so it was really really good so read the blog so well done and uh, thank you very much to Doc Carey yeah Doc Carey's one no competition there stop being so generous Doc Carey I should say that you know to get groggy of the year yeah. you don't have to give me gifts I mean it's not uh, but it helps yeah <laughs> clearly <laughs> Clearly helps. Michelle Moore situation. <laughs> the Moore maneuver. This gives gifts to his private equity firm or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whatever she had. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Bras. Bras. Yeah, bras. Bras. Yeah, she made a money in bras, didn't she? <laughs> she hide it there. Mind you. It would be a big bra, wouldn't it? <laughs> Giving all the money she's made. Anyway. Anyway. There we go. So as we went into this year, mm. our promise was to visit the 90s our promise to our listeners was to have a year of looking at 90s games and we haven't have we but we did also promise that we would do a Savage Worlds episode which we did which we did so yeah. our balance sheet shows that we're halfway there but I think it's been difficult uh, to revisit the 90s because we've just not played that number of games I think if we're doing it next year, we really need to reinstate the one-stop shop. Wow. One-stop shop. Yeah, reinstate that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not setting up a contact centre for gamers. You, you've, asked, you've asked too much of me already. I'm not sitting on a phone with headset on all day asking questions about gaming. How can um, I help you? It's the Grognard Files contact centre. How can I help you? Yeah, I'm a little bit puzzled about it. critical criticals and fumbles in the request. Can you clarify it, please? <laughs> we need to reinstate the one-stop shop. <laughs> <laughs> Stop saying that. We need to reinstate. Focus, focus for God's sake. We need to reinstate the one-shot club, so that we've got the space to just explore some of those uh, games from the nineties. Mm. I think it's difficult, yeah. though. I think it's difficult because, you know, I've tried looking at some of those games from the 90s. For example, Delta Green. Mm. And I think we've got it uh, lined up on the way to do uh, a Delta Green campaign for a short period of time um, with the Sunday group. Um, But it's weird because it's a different relationship, isn't it, with those games? You feel like it's somebody else's nostalgia. Like yeah, it's odd, isn't it? And and they do sit in a different place. I mean, I played Cult um, at Elba. Yeah. And, um, and although it's the new edition of Cult, obviously it, it still has the same flavour. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and I've got the rules to Cult. But I do look at it and think, well, I'm not sure whether I'd run it. I don't know whether it's something I could run. 
Yeah, there's a, there's a, str- there's a strange. It's a strange landscape, isn't it? The nineties games. It's yeah. a strange think, kind think, of place to go. If you remember, if you recall, uh, Stephen Brunston in um, Scar for Life uh, episode, he said that they would never do a book about the nineties. Part of that he gave various reasons, but you know, one of them is that he's very knowing, isn't it? The nineties, uh, and yeah, yeah. and it's I, I find um, you know where there's kind of warmth and humour and a sense of absurd and people fumbling around or naivety, naivety in the eighties. Uh, yes, that's true. Actually, there is a it's kind of level. There is a naivety to, to 80s games because it's the beginnings of role-playing. So, yeah. There are, yeah, you're right, there is an absurdity to it and silliness and daftness where you think, what's going on here? Whereas the 90s, those 90s games, from, and I might be I'm wrong here because yeah. I've not explored it in enough detail, but they are more, they are more knowing, aren't they? Yeah, there they is are. more knowing. There is, they're more sophisticated in a way yeah. and more knowing. And they, they push things a bit more. Yeah. You know, so cult, cult does that. It push, it's notorious, obviously, being a horror game, but it pushes it a bit more. So what? it's almost like what it's doing is you've got Call of Cthulhu in the 80s. And, of course, you've got Call of Cthulhu in the 90s, of right? But it, it takes that horror thing and pushes it a bit more, a bit yeah. farther, in a more sophisticated and knowing way. So I think we should retain that... Um, we should retain that resolution... Take it forward to the next year, do you think? To explore the 90s. Explore the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. You look a bit doubtful, and when you're a bit no, doubtful, no, when you're a bit doubtful, you're preparing it's a torpedo. It's uncharted ter- I'm not preparing a torpedo. It's, it's uncharted territory, isn't it, for us, really? Yeah. You know, because there's, there's, a, weird, there's a weird gap, because we, we started back playing back in the noughties, didn't we? And of course, when we started playing back, we played advanced D and D. So we we went back to the original game, and then it gradually got into newer games. But the nineties is weird. It's weird territory, isn't it? Yeah. Where we don't really know what's what. No, you know? we don't know what's what. I mean, some would argue we don't know what's what. Anyway, anyway, which is fair assessment. Maybe that's what we need. We need some help just to navigate through those nineties like, games. Yeah. And uh, to also. Um, start from a standing position, aren't we? Yeah. Hey, Barry. Yeah. Hey, Barry. The good friends of Jackson Elias are Scott Dawood, Paul Fricker and Matthew Sanderson. And together, they talk on their podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films and weird fiction, as well as other horror role-playing games. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or head over to blasphemoustomes.com. Did you hear that at the end of the recording? Hello, Barry. Hello, Gary. It wasn't them. It's an abrupt ending due to a child coming into the snug to enjoy a Christmas tree. Oh, the spirit of Christmas. Bloody kids in pubs. We had our wigs on and everything. It's that time of year when I do my roundup of podcasts of note. There's the usual ones that have been on my roll call and have appeared on some of my favourites in 2022, including All Anthrex's Gaming Vexes, Frankenstein's RPG, The Smart Party, and a turn as Lord Rabbit in The Tale of the Manticore. Spoiler alert, he's coming back soon. There have been some 
new podcast added to by monthly roster. Some of them are gaming related, others are part of a wider hinterland. At the beginning of the year, I was completely absorbed by Baz from the Smart Party's side project, RuneQuest Year Zero. He took apart the starter set for RuneQuest, which was released last year, and he tried to assess who was it aimed at. Was it a good introduction to the setting of Galantha for those people who'd not experienced it previously? And did the mechanics work? It caught the imagination of listeners too, as they contributed to these assessments. It's a really lively and interesting short series that will forever remind me of walking miles through the Lake District in the pitch darkness, trying to find somewhere that sold a bottle of milk. I only had Baz to keep me company. I was climbing over fences into barren fields, while he was working out the relevance of a grain store in Johnstown. Baz's podcast really inspired me to actually dust off the RuneQuest Galantha books I've been building up on my shelves and play the game. As I mentioned in the podcast, my ambitions were curtailed by other demands on my time, but I really enjoyed the sessions where the Lost Axe High Lama tribe explored a migration path through Prax. I was also inspired by Ludo and George's podcast, The God Learners. Episode 9 featured David Scott doing a deep dive into Nomad Gods, the board game that, along with White Bear Red Moon, preceded RuneQuest as games set in Glantha. David speaks in a knowledgeable but accessible way about Prax and some of the opportunities for adventure using the various tribes in the region. You'll notice that Jingle Bells was played on the ukulele in this podcast by Paul Michener. He also provides the titles to Titterpigs, a podcast launched this year by Keith and Scott. If you attend the weekly Mitchester's Arms, the virtual pub open on Fridays and hosted by Paul, you'll recognise Keith and Scott as their regular attendees. Keith writes reviews on the Rolling Boxcars blog and Scott hosts a YouTube channel which consists mainly of unboxing games. The podcast is opinionated, well-informed and fluent. Imagine daytime radio, but with games. They do some industry and new releases chat, which isn't always for me, but they also cover specific topics in a lively and an engaging manner. My favourite so far has been episode 17 about alternate histories. It features an interview with Ken Height, which is incredibly revealing and insightful, given that he's already got a weekly podcast himself. Thanks to their focused questioning, they managed to get some additional insights that I've not heard previously. Titterpig's RPG podcast, and it fills a hole left by The Mist Gaming and BS, which finished earlier this year. I look forward to seeing how it develops and grows. As I mentioned in the podcast, I've been reading lots of Beatles books, so I'll heartily recommend Beatles books by Joe Wisby, who manages to get some great authors as he takes a tour through his own 400 books on the Beatles. 
I recommend episode 49 with Jay Burgeon, a lawyer who represented Lenin during his lost weekend period at a time when the mob were indirectly insisting that he produced an album for them. Great stuff. Finally, it's another non-gaming podcast, but it is the highlight of the new podcast that I listen to, and it's the Video Archives podcast with Quentin Tarantino, Roger Avery, and his daughter, Gala Avery. Tarantino and Avery famously worked together in the Video Archive store in LA back in the 80s before they became filmmakers. This is them going back and watching the VHS films from the store library, which is now owned by Tarantino. It's not for everyone. There's over-talking, shouting and trash talk that can make your toes curl, but I enjoy the passion, the knowledge and the filmmaker's eye as they discuss the great and good from the VHS exploitation scene. I recommend that you start from the beginning with Dark Star and Cocaine Cowboys. There's a certain pleasure watching along with them if you can. That's it. 2022 in gaming, all wrapped up for the Armchair Adventurers. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for passing it on if you can. And if you like podcasts, please do pass it on and let the creators know that you do like them. It makes a world of difference. We have uh, another 12 months of podcasts planned to entertain and inform us, and I hope that you'll be around to listen to them and be entertained by our continuing thaw from the deep freeze. Thanks to everyone who's supported us via tips to the Patreon. We have planned in 2023 to make sure that those tips work harder than ever. Your hand-in-the-pocket help is really appreciated to help to pay for stuff, keep us motivated and to devise new schemes. I'll do some individual shout-outs to new people in the next pod, which will be coming very soon. It's a mash-up. Until then, adios, amigos. He's a strangler who's escaped from an asylum for the criminally insane. He roams the countryside at night, searching for fresh victims, laughing maniacally as he kills them. He is a cursed immortal, existing on violence, fear, dread. It's in the trees. It's coming. The demon!